Welcome to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. I'm Sarah. And I'm Gabby. And we are two first-year physical therapy students sharing our grad school experiences to help PT students around the world. Embark on this journey with us as we navigate through the insanity of physical therapy school together. Looking for a gift for a friend, classmate, professor, co-host of a podcast, or really anyone? Physiomemes got your back with apparel, drinkware, and home decor. And if you go to physiomemes.com, you can get a 20% off coupon with the code gratitude, spelled G-R-A-D-I-T-U-D-E-2020. And don't forget to check out his social media for a good study break laugh. As always, make life humorous everyone. So today we have Lindsay with us and we are so excited to have you on the podcast. And we, Sarah and I were just talking how it was like, it was through Andrew Tran, shout out to Andrew mm-hmm. Museum. Um, and he connected us with you and we were so excited when you were telling us. Um, I was like, no, I need to make sure I get into like a good undergrad school and like there's a program that'll get me into PT school too. So I was thinking like exercise science or kinesiology or something along those tracks. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to go to a big like state school in the South. Oh. I was like, that's where I belong. It's a great place to be. And so I was applying to like Auburn and Baylor, like really big areas. Um, and ended up not going there at all. I went to Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. It's like a small Jesuit university. Yeah, <laughs> like I And um, majored in exercise science there and like really got involved in the research. And that was kind of like what sold me on the whole profession in the end. I was like, this is really cool. And they're doing a lot of like really awesome things with research, so. Kind of got involved in that, and um, from there I started doing research with the physical therapy department at Creighton. It was like a, I guess a joint project between PT at Creighton and um, exercise science. And so we developed this project on high heels. So we looked at the difference between um, like different types of high heel shoes. So we did stilettos and platforms and wedges to kind of see if there was a difference on the forces um, and kind of just like dynamic load while you're walking and just kind of what's going on to see, is there a difference between these shoes? Can we make a recommendation on one that's potentially like better than the other? And basically inconclusive at this point, (laughs) there's no like, one shoe that's better than the other yet they're all awful for you don't wear them <laughs> like the time you know mm-hmm. and so from there my research professor at Creighton was like hey um Wash U has this really good physical therapy program and you can do what's called like a research assistantship and they'll give you a scholarship if you do research for them actually and I was like oh that sounds really cool and Creighton had one too. And so I was like in the process of applying for PT schools and I ended up getting into WashU and they were like, you have three days to apply for the research assistantship. If you want to do it. Yeah. And it was like the weekend before my very last final exams of undergrad because I was graduating a semester early too. So I found out like the Friday before finals started and they were due like the Monday of finals by noon. Oh my gosh. Right. So I was like, well, I really want to do this assistantship. I want to do research in PT school. So I'll just like put off studying for finals until later. And um, ended up uh, like applying for the assistantship and getting it too. And so now I do research at WashU, like physical therapy research, and I'm involved in that aspect. So that's kind of like how I got to WashU. That's a lot. And we have, I know, we can't skip over the intro here. Again, <laughs> do you want to do an intro? Yeah, I'll do it. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Run Instagram for me, please. Like, <laughs> I just don't have the time anymore. <laughs> it's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what are you up to now? What was, I guess the first question is, what has the last year of PT school been like for you, your first year? 
Oh, it was absolutely crazy. So like we are course load, I feel like it's just really heavy. I'm sure every PT school is like that where it's like eight to five, you know, but it just seems like a lot. It was a lot of, a lot of school. And then I was doing research on top of it. And then I also, I've worked in the service industry since I was like 17 and I love it. So my like ego deep inside was like, I can't give that up. I love, I love working with people way too much. So I did like all of it at the same time. And then kind of like, I've been working on Instagram a little bit and doing personal training as well, just to like stay with those hands-on skills. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of what I did for the past year, more or less. I actually got to present my high heel research at CSM this year in DC. So I did like a poster presentation and that was really cool. Just to like get an in for the section on women's health and be like, I'm a part of it. <laughs> It was oh, cool. Cool. And we missed you. We I were know, there. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I would have known. I know, but CSM was a great conference. It was was this your first so um, cool. CSM, yeah. Yeah. CSM our first big one as well. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And I'm hoping to go for 2020. So like we are actually on clinical during that time. So I'm kind of hoping I get a clinical in Denver. So it's just right there. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, let's go to this physical therapy conference really quick. <laughs> really quick. Down the street. Yeah. Right there. Like, there I'll be right back there. like later yeah. this afternoon, maybe. <laughs> I'll be back, I swear. That's so funny. That would be crazy. I hope you get one as well. Cause that's the same thing for me. We have clinicals at that time as well. Oh, yeah. I mean yeah, you have clinicals, yeah. and I will have my January of didactic. So, no, I take that back. Sorry, it won't be my last. It'll be my You'll second to one. last. <laughs> I was like, wait. So yeah, I'll be in class, but um, yeah, I mean, they it's an excuse absence. So if you want to go to CSM, right? Afraid because you go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah, they like only excused it because I was presenting, but other than that, they like won't excuse it. But yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. It does depend on the school, but I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not PT stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I don't really mind that I'm missing class for this. Like, oh, yeah. No, no. It's totally. for, it was so, it was so worth it in the end. Um, yes, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your clinical rotation that you just went on and where out of the country uh, <laughs> did you have the opportunity to do that? Okay, so I was in Zacapa, Guatemala um, with an organization called Hearts in Motion. And so that's a nonprofit organization. It's based in the U.S., um, but they've expanded to Guatemala. And I think they're actually expanding to Ecuador right now. So they did their first trip to Ecuador while I was down in Guatemala. Um, but basically, we get a clinical rotation there every like once in a blue moon. And it just so happened that when I was applying for WashU, I heard about this clinical. One of the professors told me, they're like, oh, we actually offer this clinical down in Guatemala, you know? And then they told us about it at our like clinical meeting. Like, if you're interested at all, we were given a spot in Guatemala and, you know, we highly recommend you apply. It's going to be really complex and really difficult um, and way out of your comfort zone, but it's fine. Just like, if you have any interest, apply. And so, um, like, long story short, I guess, I applied <laughs> after I had had all these experiences in Peru um, that kind of, like, got me to that point, too. And I had taken, um, or I guess done some private tutoring in medical Spanish as well, like, last year in Peru when I was living down there. And so, um, that kind of, like, prepped me for this. And so, I applied, and I had a bunch of those skills. And they told me at CSM, actually, that I got the clinical spot in Guatemala, right, and so I got to uh, go to Guatemala, it was just me, they were like, you're going to Guatemala, you'll, like, you'll figure it out when you get down there, you know, and so I went down there for an eight-week clinical rotation, just me, and it was, like, all kinds of patient cases, so um, I like to say it was, like, a third musculoskeletal, a third neuro, and then a third pediatric, and pediatric were both, like, musculoskeletal issues and, like, neurodevelopmental so it was literally all over the board and I had no idea what I was doing 
like at all. I felt so lost at times. And I was just like, I have nothing to go off of. I know nothing about this patient case or rehabbing this patient. And they have so much trust and faith in me and they really think I'm gonna make them better. So I better figure it out. Like that was your first one too, wasn't it? Yes, it was my very first one. Oh my gosh, your first clinical. And that's very brave of you and very courageous to just like go for it. It was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was the biggest lesson you learned in that experience? Um, I think PT is just so powerful. Like my CI described it like PT is a natural medicine. And just seeing how these people who, like this was definitely a, a much poorer community that really benefited from PT because they truly believed in it. And like, because it was a nonprofit organization, we were able to offer services to a lot of people for free. So like people benefited from it so much and they saw so much improvement just in like their daily lives and the things that they were able to do. And just like the way that they thought about themselves through like PT treatment. And I was just so impressed with like how grateful these people were and like how willing they were to do PT and like get better. It was just so warming <laughs> to see, you know, it's not like someone sent by a doctor mm -hmm. or eight weeks of physical therapy and they like don't really want to be there. And it's just like, so that they can go back and get surgery. Like, no, these, this is like the, these people's only option. So like really into it. That's so different. And their healthcare system, is it really different? I don't have any idea. Do you know like, how it is? I wish I had more like formal training on their healthcare system, but from what I understand, like they don't really have a healthcare, like insurance, people don't really have insurance unless it's through their bank. And it's definitely like an additional cost. It would be like a private insurance like we have in the US. Um, but no one, we didn't like turn in notes or documentation or anything to any insurance company. And it was very rare that we even got a referral from a doctor. So like we could get a referral for PT, but the majority of people were just like walk-in patients. It was very much direct access. Like you pay out of pocket. Wow. From there. And how was the, you know, the paperwork and kind of the, the flow of that? Um, was there a paperwork or was it more of, you know, you have your patient kind of telling you what's going on and in that case, especially being direct access, you have to, you have to do a lot with that. Right. Yeah. We kind of just, um, we like developed what kind of worked for us because just the way that Latin America works too, um, people don't necessarily like have a lot of time for healthcare. They're like very, very much focused on other aspects of their life. And so like for them to put aside, you know, like twice a week for physical therapy or even like once a week for physical therapy is sometimes really hard. So sometimes they just come in for like one session and kind of like get the basics and then you'll see them in a couple months. And so um, you just kind of get like whatever basic information you can get from them. And we kind of like developed our own documentation system. We're in the process of making everything electronic at that clinic. And it's just the one American physical therapist. And so it's very much like a, like a one man job. <laughs> and it's very difficult to run in that like aspect. But yeah, you kind of just like write whatever notes you can. You have no, no one to turn it into. No one looks at it other than you. So as long as you can read it and you know what's going on and like say for some reason, another person has to read it like if there's a group down there or something you do want it to be legible in that aspect and like at least able to find but for the most part it's just yeah whatever you want to write down whatever helps you that's so crazy yeah. mm -hmm. so you said it was one american physical therapist yeah so what was week like were you treating under him like kind of watching a lot or were you actually hands-on all eight weeks I was like hands-on all eight weeks like so her name was Emily and um basically like day one first patient walks in and it was like an ankle case I think he broke his tibia or you know fractured his tibia something along those lines and like literally first patient ever this keep in mind this is all in Spanish too we have no translator or anything um and she was like all right go ahead and do your first eval and I was like 
no doc, I have nothing to go off of. Like she gave me a blank sheet of paper and was like, do your first email. <laughs> I was like, what do I do? Like, I just looked at her so confused. And she was like, well, what do you want to know? <laughs> I was like, I don't even know how to ask these questions in Spanish. I've never asked like someone, you know, what's their pain level or like where on the ankle does it hurt or just, you know, things like that you don't necessarily think about. The first thing I had to tell him, you know, was lay down with your, with um, like face up, you know, lay down on your back, face up. And I had no idea how to tell him that. I just like looked at her like, um, what do I do? Yeah. So did she translate at all for you or how, or were you just like, and she just walked away. Yeah, and she was just like, "Here you go." <laughs> um, so I actually spoke like a pretty good amount of Spanish, like a lot more Spanish than she did. Mm-hmm. And so uh, um, she would tell me some of the like more medical terms or like physical therapy terms because that's just it's just like slightly different vocabulary that you haven't covered yet. So that like the first two weeks or so, I would say, was just learning how to talk to the patient um more or less especially when you're getting like subjective history you got to ask them kind of deep questions especially like related to their occupation and goal setting and you know just things that you like actually want to know for <laughs> to make their life better it requires like a little bit deeper vocabulary so that was a, a learning curve at first um but other than that yeah you just kind of like figure it out between the two of us, I felt like we made up one whole person. Like, I could speak Spanish. <laughs> um, and we would figure out how to talk to the patients and, like, get the message across. But there there were a lot of, like, miscommunication episodes where we, like, thought we told the patient the right thing. And it's not right. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine. So, and you said you don't know where you're going next, but obviously it's going to be very different again like it's yes absolutely so different yeah wow okay so what has it been like like I don't know what I'm trying to ask here (laughs) coming back to the states or yeah how is that okay how were both transitions how is the transition there and then how is the transition back um so transitioning down there it was so hot. Like we're in Zacapa, Guatemala, which is like the southeast, like pretty close to Honduras part of Guatemala. And it was like 90, 95 degrees every day, no AC anywhere. And it's like, I swear, 90% humidity. It was so hot. Obviously like no phone service. I had Wi-Fi in one room in <laughs> Guatemala. Um, And here I am, like, having to practice PT, which I've just spent a whole year in class, like, learning about in English. I now have to practice it in Spanish. I know no one, (laughs) like, by myself, you know, at this um, center with a whole bunch of kids. There were, like, 22 kids, basically, that have to stay at this center. So either they're in the center for, like, malnutrition, um, and those are a lot of the younger kids. Um, so they're in the center for like malnutrition or just like severe illness and then there's a whole like foster home kits so those kids are in there for violence of some sort or they can't live with their parents for whatever reason but yeah they just kind of like I definitely hopped into a very uncomfortable environment but it was like the best thing that I could possibly do in that moment because I'm a very like high-strung individual I like need a lot of control in situations and was just at a point in my life. Um, like I felt like the stress of school was definitely getting to me. And I was like, I need to go to a place that's just a, like a slower pace. That's just going to like push me outside my comfort zone and make me grow as an individual. And that's like exactly what it did more or less. Yeah. You know? yeah. But coming back was so hard. So I've been back in the U S like two weeks now. And the first week I was here um, was like, some days I wanted to cry, you know, (laughs) just like seeing how people do things in the U.S. Because obviously spending eight weeks in a place where you're like, you're uncomfortable for the first little bit, but then you get like really used to just like how life runs in those countries and it's very slow. And um, like the problems people have are very much like real problems, you know, like not having enough food or not having enough money to get like 
medicine for their diabetes so now they don't have a leg anymore or you know parents dropping kids off at the orphanage because they don't have enough like money to take care of their children or like send them to school you know like those are like real problems and then I come back to the U.S. and just hear people complain like oh my god Instagram's down and you're like ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, you don't want to be rude and be like, that doesn't matter, but. <laughs> yes, yeah, okay. <laughs> right. So you're just like, oh, if only, like, how do I get it, get the message across that there's like so many more things that matter and so many more things that we should be focused on and doing, especially if we are born into mm-hmm. the privilege. Like we're all going to grad school and PT school. Like it's obviously not free. We're all like either taking out student loans or somehow coming by a ton of money to get to this point. So I'm like, we have the privilege to like provide service and do so much more for the world, especially in terms of PT. So I feel like we should be doing that and just getting out there, not being worried about Instagram going down or, you know, what our, our grade is on the practical or... I've been complaining recently about they changed our parking and so now I have to park half a mile away versus like across the street from our building and I'm like Lindsay that really doesn't matter get it in perspective like a a little bit more exercise is not going to hurt you yeah but in the moment you think about that and you're like this sucks and like you just said until you come back and you're like wow this is not really a problem and Mm -hmm. people that you met and you know witness like they have real problems like you just said malnutrition and uh-huh. not getting their medications like those are real problems and it's right. really fascinating how you can come from a whole different country and you know be really um engulfed in this culture and then come back to mm-hmm. the states and then everything's different. I mean, even coming back to like classes must be, it's, I feel like it would be an adjustment. It's a, yeah. (laughs) Tomorrow. tomorrow, Yeah. Yeah. So tomorrow, like it's going to be an adjustment. And for the first few days, I wouldn't want to be in the classroom. I would be like, there are so many things that are going on or Mm -hmm. every day. And I mean, I know it's for our education, but I just think going from that experience would be really tough. Yeah, it was something I definitely like (sighs) dreaded for a long time. Like even towards the end of my clinical, just the idea of coming back to class. I was like, it's going to be so hard to do. But I think I have enough focus and motivation at this point that I know that everything I'm learning is just going to make me a better physical therapist. And like today for the end of this pelvic health course, I had, um, we had to do like a lab portion, which requires you to do like an examination on the pelvic floor, you know? So I had to do this in front of like two other women and obviously the model. And I just felt like my hands-on skills and like my ability to do a practical, I was like so much more chill and so much there was like no anxiety or nervousness, you know, like when you get freaked out right before a practical, your like heart's racing and your palms are sweating. You like can't even touch the patient because you're like shaking so much. It was not like that at all. I was like, this is a good thing to do. Just be. So, I mean, there, it's going to like pay off that I did that. And like, as hard as it is the first couple days, I think this clinical is going to like carry over into a lot of other skills. And it's like, yeah, it sounds like here you are at your mm-hmm. I mean, you just went through a pretty intense um, course. Tell us, let's transition a little bit. Let's let's hear a little bit about that because there's a lot of PT students interested in. Yes, but you had a very unique opportunity. Let's let's hear about how your weekend went. Yeah, so I took Pelvic Health One, which is offered by the Section on Women's Health, which I guess the name is changing, so it's now now it's going to be like the Academy of Pelvic Health. It's like a little bit more inclusive, not just women, you know. Um, so in the first one, you talk about 
like underactive pelvic floors and what can happen from that. So there's a lot of like lecture and basic education. So you start with anatomy and learning like all the anatomy of the pelvic floor, all the muscles involved in um, micturition. So basically like how you urinate and how all of that, like the feedback loops and everything that happens with that, the physiology of that. So you like learn about that and then you do, you, there's like lab portions. So you start with external like palpation of pelvic floor muscles and like the, basically like the vulvar area, vulvar area. That's a hard, a weird word. Anyway, you learn like that part. I'm um, like reflex testing in the area. Um, and it's like hands-on, you know, like you gotta break a lot of stigma that's been placed on you. And there's a lot of, um, like desensitization that has to occur beforehand. So like leading up to it, I definitely like educated myself on pelvic health and what would happen and like what kind of issues you treat and you have to be like passionate and excited about it. Otherwise you're just gonna be so uncomfortable and it's not like there's no end goal in there. Like I was uncomfortable and I like love this. So there's definitely like a level of comfort that you have to overcome learning how to do like external and then you go into internal examination. So you're learning basically like your MMT, like your muscle testing um, and how to measure endurance and number of repetitions, like fast twitch fibers of the pelvic floor muscles. So that's all like an internal examination. Um, so I like always describe it to people like pelvic floor PTs are kind of like the urogynecologists of the PT world. Like, and you're dealing with anything like bowel, bladder, or sex related, mainly. So like I said, the whole focus of this course is on underactive pelvic floor. So you're kind of expecting your patients here to have like not a lot of muscle strength, not a lot of endurance. They can't do like a lot of fast twitch fiber repetitions. Um, I mean, you learn prolapse testing, um, just like how to look, I guess how to look for prolapse. So your main things when you're thinking underactive bladder or underactive pelvic floor are um, like urinary incontinence of some sort. So like stress or urge incontinence are probably your like most common. And then you're thinking pelvic organ prolapse potentially. So you can get like symptoms of heaviness um, in the pelvic area. Sometimes it causes pain. Sometimes it's more irritation. It's like it can present in all different ways. But that's kind of the course. So you cover like all everything that goes into that treatment. Um, yeah, kind of diagnosing a little bit, documentation, documentation, history taking. You do a whole like case study together. Oh, you do biofeedback and EMG, like of your own pelvic floor. That's really interesting because you basically <laughs> you have like a sensor basically that you insert like into the vaginal canal. Wow. Yeah. Is it like a stick? I need to know. No one's seen my hand motion. <laughs> yes, hold on. I have a I have the sensor. Do you want to see it? Yes, I, I do. Okay. I'm imagining oh it's just like <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say Okay, it's just in my backpack, which is kind of gross. Oh, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> like the past day and a half or something. Okay, so this is the biosensor. So basically, and it's like kind of big. Like yeah. I was, yeah, I was surprised. Like there's no way. That's <laughs> bigger than a tampon. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely bigger than a tampon. Wow. So you insert it, and it has electrodes. So it, this one can do actually like internal biofeedback and then internal um, electrical st stimulation. So there's a couple reasons you would want to do that. So biofeedback, you're basically seeing the muscle activation. So it's really only useful if you're doing like the pelvic floor contraction correctly. Otherwise, you're just getting like the muscle activation of the glutes or the adductors, which are not the right muscles that you want to use. But it can be helpful for people to see like the biofeedback, especially if you're trying to like improve endurance or um, just improve like, like a controlled contraction or like a planned contraction and not just have it be sporadic. But then like electrical stimulation, so you'd use it like your neuromuscular re-education, your neuromuscular electrical stimulation. So you set it so that it can like assist with a muscle contraction. It's so weird. It's a very weird sensation. And 
Like not everyone's gonna like it. I'll say that. Does it have to be okay? This is gonna get a little graphic. I just have. Yeah, a no, you're good. I like talking about it, so it's cool. I'm warning everyone who's listening. Who's can, like, if you want to skip this to part, <laughs> give me like a minute, guys. Okay. You don't have to. You know how you have different electrical pads, so like, yeah, you don't have to put any water. Like it's okay that it's damp. Yeah. So um. You put this actually, like you put it in lube before you right. Someone had like insert it. At least that's how we did it. Like someone else puts it in, which I guess you could put it in yourself. Yeah. But yeah, the way that it works, it's like meant for like intravaginally, and then there's ones that work like intrarectally too. Those are smaller. Okay, I was gonna say I would assume that would be smaller. I don't know how else that would. Yeah. (laughs) Right, but um, a lot of insurance companies we learned won't pay for it unless you have four weeks of failed, basically like physical therapy intervention. Then they will not pay for biofeedback or um, like electrical stimulation or anything. So it's kind of it's a useful tool but it's definitely not um, something that you want to utilize a lot. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Have you always been interested in pelvic floor or what got you started? So I think for me, I was definitely a kid that was like, I grew up like kind of obsessed with like female anatomy and like growth and development and pregnancy I don't know why, but I always loved pregnancy and like pregnant women and like the process of having a baby even from a young age. And then um, I kind of got involved like when I was an undergrad as a strength and conditioning coach before I was a personal trainer. So I did strength and conditioning and I got involved. We had like a women's only um, workout at the high school I was working at. And so I loved working with the females there. I thought it was so empowering to teach them how to lift weights and like do, you know, Olympic style lifting and get them involved in a workout that made them feel like strong and empowered and stuff. So that was like kind of how that started. And then obviously with my research in high heels and then presenting on women's health, it just like everything kind of built on each other. And then like the idea of pelvic health physical therapy at first kind of freaked me out. I was like, I don't know, like all you really do is treat like urinary incontinence. And I was like, all I want to do is work with athletes, you know, because that's kind of every physical therapist ever <laughs> enters school. They're like, I'm just going to work with athletes. I'm only going to do sports. I'm going to do like ortho outpatient and that's going to be my life. I'm going to work with a professional sports team. And that was like me for a long time for sure. And then I started thinking more about it. And I was like, no, I really love like pregnancy. I really love working with women. I love helping women feel empowered. And pelvic health physical therapy is also a type of physical therapy. I feel like where the patient population, the majority of them are there because like they've tried a lot of other treatments and they haven't worked and they're there because they want to be there. There are some that are like referred by a doctor and they're like, I don't really know why I'm here. But for the most part, it's something like patients want to be there. And like I said, it's just something that helps women feel empowered too. Like when you're learning about your body and you can kind of like break a lot of stigmas that society has set on um, just like the female body in general, like the pelvic floor is a part of the body that we're taught, like not to touch, we're taught not to think about or like do anything about it or like really pay any attention to it. And then something wrong has happened or like something wrong happens to the pelvic floor or we have symptoms down there and it's like no one wants to talk about it or say anything about it. And so there's like no proper treatment or anything like that. So for me, I was just like, this seems like a no brainer. It seems like something that I'm really passionate about and like a place where I can make a really big difference. Yeah, no, that is, that is huge. And you will make a huge difference um, just from some of the physical therapists that I've talked to who are um, our pelvic floor PTs and they absolutely love it. Like we had a lecture um, in MSK and, and it was really interesting. And so, you know, a lot of this stuff I wasn't too familiar with. So even just kind of, you know, scraping the surface and understanding that we all have pelvic floors, males mm-hmm. do 
school <laughs> and, right. um, you know, incontinence and, um, all these things are real, like they're real issues that people go through, especially women. And, um, it's just good to have a basic understanding of it. Um, and just know that like, if something's not working, then it's, you need to know a pelvic health PT to refer to if you are not comfortable with doing that. Right. Like our idea of what is normal is so skewed because people like aren't, they're just like not willing to talk about it. Or if they do talk about it, they just make everything seem like, oh, well, that's just like what happens when you're pregnant or like, that's just normal. Like it just always hurts. And you're like, but no, <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be like that. It's not cause, just because you're pregnant and stuff. Like, yeah, no, like you should have control. Like you shouldn't pee when you sneeze every time. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I know one of my um, mentors and like really, really great uh, person who like got me through the first semester of PT school, um, Kaylee Garrett Zimmerman, she is a um, PT and she works with CrossFit um, or female CrossFit um, athletes. And, and those mm -hmm. are all real things. Like those are all things that she talks about and she's so passionate about it. And, um, and I'm learning a lot from her too, because I don't, like I said, I'm not too familiar with, um, pelvic health PT and Tracy share. She's another big, um, you know, person. Yeah. I am obsessed with her. If she's listening to this or if she ever hears this, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll tag them. Yeah. So, so many messages on Instagram. She's probably like, who is this crazy girl? It's like, the, do you know who the vagina whisperer is? Uh, what? No, I haven't heard. Okay, so her, her tag on Instagram is literally called the vagina whisperer. Yeah. And she's a WashU grad. Um, and she does like women's health PT. She owns her own private clinic in New Orleans. But yeah, the vagina whisperer. Her real name is Sarah Reardon. But I met her at CSM. Like they gave her an alumni award. And I had a little bit too much like tequila before I went there. I know I probably shouldn't be saying this. Maybe <laughs> we get it out later. Anyway, um, I like went up to her and I was like fangirling so hard. I was like, I love you so much. Like, what do I have to do to be you? It's <laughs> like, you need to get a clinical in pelvic health and you need to do like the pelvic health one course. So I already did the pelvic health one course. And now like my very last clinical will be and pelvic health and it's like a it's a private practice so it's sports performance and pelvic health like combined in one you're very interesting yeah that's awesome i've never sports performance and pelvic health that is really cool is that in um where is that is that in missouri no it's in chicago actually so it's in a suburb outside of chicago um and yeah, if you think about it, like it makes total sense because a lot of your women that are going to come in, especially nowadays, the women that are speaking up about like having urinary incontinence symptoms or painful sex or like any sort of pelvic pain condition that a pelvic PT would treat, like those women tend to be a lot younger. Like they tend to be your 20, 30 year olds that are saying stuff and they're not waiting, you know, 20 years suffering before they're finally speaking up about their issues or they're not waiting until they're 80 and can't control their bladder at all to get surgery. Like they're speaking up a lot earlier. And those are the people that are speaking up because they're like, Oh, um, by the time I get to like mile 13 in my marathon, you know, I start leaking a little bit. <laughs> it's something crazy like that. Or, you know, all of a sudden I'm doing double unders and CrossFit. And by the time I get to like my third set, I'm leaking or, you know, women that are having a baby and they're coming back postpartum and they're like, yeah, all of a sudden I'm, you know, doing squats or doing deadlifts and I'm like leaking or I feel heaviness or things like that. So it's a lot of like younger people that are doing, they're having a lot of symptoms that are associated with working out. So like from a PT standpoint, if you're looking at like, what are your functional goals? And they're like, well, I want to get back to doing CrossFit or I want to get back to running marathons and stuff like, and the, like, in the end, you're still treating an athlete, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. And you've pushed yourself, you've pushed your boundaries quite a bit in the last year. <laughs> what you expected. Crazy. My, uh, like, my PI that I do research for at WashU says I look, um, like, I look more grown up now. 
that's what she says after coming back from Guatemala she's like you look more grown up and I was like well I had to treat all these patients and I got no medical records or anything she's like "Mm, that's it you had to make like hard life decisions (laughs) like you were in control like in control of the patient had to decide that's so funny Mm -hmm. so what did you think you'd actually be like a year ago um (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. So a year ago, I definitely, so I was living in Omaha, Nebraska, and that's where I went to undergrad, you know? So um, I really wanted to go back to Omaha, Nebraska for my first one because they do College World Series in the summertime, and so that would have gone over my first clinical, and I would have been able to do, um, like, my first clinical and then work, like, bartend College World Series like I had done the past couple years. So that was, like, my original plan, and then basically the minute I found out about Guatemala, I texted my roommate. I was like, dude, I just found out there's a clinical in Guatemala. And like, to this day, I still have the text saved. She responded and she was like, well, guess you're going to Guatemala. And like, I hadn't even done the application or anything, but she was just like, I know, I know you're going. <laughs> like, that it obviously funny. all worked out. But yeah, I had no idea. Like if you would have told me a year ago, everything I've done in the past year, I would have been like, there's literally no way. Like, <laughs> That no way. Insane. So this is a little random slash off topic, but uh, <laughs> kind of not really. Um, so my program, uh, they just sent a few students to Guatemala, mm-hmm. the Kappa, and I was, I was like, what are the odds <laughs> that it would yeah. be place? Um, so a few students, I go to High Point University. Yeah. In North Carolina. And I, I know hearts in motion sounds so familiar, but uh-huh. they were in Guatemala, so I don't know if they were in the same um, place, but they had a- I want to check. I want to say they, like, hearts in motion posted something recently. I'm like, I love hearts in motion. We should put a tag in them, in there for them, oh, yeah. too, because they're absolutely phenomenal. They do so much for so many people, and like I said, like, we would have people come in that couldn't pay anything, and they would get physical therapy, and that was- like amazing like I have so many incredible videos of patients like just doing things they would have never been able to do in their entire life without physical therapy and like just people making a difference or like people seeing a difference in their quality of life truly from physical therapy and like like truly a natural medicine you know and they don't have they don't get the same kind of care we get in the U.S. where it's like you're getting multidisciplinary care you know like they're getting PT and that's pretty much it PT and, you know, whatever nursing or home health their provider can give. Mm-hmm. Other than that, like, there's one neurologist, or there's a neurologist, but only in Guatemala City. So, like, all of Zacapa doesn't have a neurologist. So, if you have a neuro problem, like, if you have Parkinson's, or if you have a spinal cord injury, or if you've had a stroke, like, the doctor's at least three hours away. So, you're, really, like, really not receiving care from you're like primary doctor, like your PT is your doctor if you're getting PT. Yeah, is there, that's great. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular patient case that really Oh my gosh, there's one, it's so sad. People might cry. Um, <laughs> I can't find the picture I was looking for. But um, yeah, so we had one case where, so our clinic was like the furthest, I want to say west of all the clinics, maybe. I don't know. I need to look at the map. Anyway, we had this patient show up. Like, the va- the volunteer firefighters brought him. He was in a wheelchair. And so, like, they came from Los Amates, which was, like, an hour further, way past our town. Like, away from all the other clinics, away from Guatemala City. So, even further from Guatemala City, where the neurologist is. And um, the volunteer firefighters brought him with his mom. He was 26, and they came in, like, he's in a wheelchair and stuff. And he has, like, an external bag for, like, um, bowel and bladder. Like, he has no control over his bowel and bladder. And so I asked his mom, you know, I was like, oh, can you write his name on our list of patients? Because, like, HIPAA doesn't exist down there either. And so um, she was like, oh, no, I can't write. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Like, this woman literally couldn't write her own name's son or her own son's name, which is super sad. And um, 
I was like, whatever, that's fine. You know, like I'll just interview him. And so I start doing like the subjective history that you would normally do and going through a bunch of questions. And I was like, okay, why did you come to physical therapy? Well, first of all, he was there because he got shot. So his spinal cord injury was a result of him getting shot multiple times. And like at the time, I didn't even know the word in Spanish. So they're like trying to explain to me and they were like the firearms went off into him. And I was like, oh my gosh, he got shot. And I like confirmed the, the word later, like what they're using. But yeah, so he got shot and that's why he had this spinal cord injury and was in a wheelchair. And so I asked, I was like, well, what's your goal for physical therapy? Because it's been a year and a half since he had gotten shot. And he had never had any sort of physical therapy yet. And he was like, well, I'm just hoping to like regain more mobility in my legs and be able to walk again. And I was like, okay, can you feel your legs? And he was like, no, I can't feel anything. And like no one had told him basically that he was never going to walk again. You know, like he was basically paralyzed and no one had ever told him. And I like looked at my CI so blank. I was like, I hope my poker face is good right now because I have no idea what to tell this guy. And we literally had to tell him like, yeah, man, I'm so sorry, but I don't think you're going to walk again. Like you have no voluntary, he had no voluntary control over his legs and his spasticity was like insane. Like you would try to move like even so slow and his muscles would clench up so fast. And, like, it was hard. I mean, I was trying to use all my strength to separate his knees. Like, they were basically, like, glued together because of his spasticity. And I was using all of my strength to separate them. Like, all of my body weight, everything, I couldn't do it. You had to go so slow. And, like, it was sensitive to pressure, too. So you had to, like, little tiny pressure and, like, go so slow to separate or, like, try to stretch out his legs at all. So they're, like, it's not, he doesn't have a good chance, you know? Oh It'd God. be a miracle if he walked in. So what did you do for him? Um, so we ended up actually doing a lot of wound care because he had grade like three, four pressure ulcers on his ischial tubes and then on his greater trochs. So we had to do like a lot of wound care and just like patient education on like one kind of what his condition was. So that's like way out of the scope of practice for a PT, but no one's there to do it. So like in that situation, you're kind of stuck. You're just like, all right, I guess I'm going to be like this person today. And I'm going to explain all this to the patient because if I don't, no one else will. And so we just kind of had to explain like wound care to the family and stuff and be like really specific because they were, I mean, like even to the day that I left, they were using like boxing tape to like put on um, like gauze or anything over the wound, or, like do any sort of wound care because they didn't have any like surgical tape or any like tape that was for bandaging you know so they were just using whatever they had but yeah it was a lot of like education in that sense and like doing a lot of wound care which was again way out of our scope neither of us really we were just like all right this we're just gonna go by basic like rules of wound care kind of see what happens so we had to do like fill in tunneling and whatnot and it was it was crazy and then um, just like a lot of balance and stability, working on transfers, a lot of upper body work, um, just to kind of get him a little bit more mobile because he, honest, like, yes, his situation was bad where he was probably never gonna walk again, but he did have decent like trunk control and decent upper body strength and mobility. And so like he could be a lot more independent, but the way to that Latin American culture works is people just tend like if they get an injury or if they get sick or anything, like the family just automatically kind of steps in and takes care. So that's another problem too. Like in Latin America, if a patient or like a, if someone in a family has a stroke, um, it's like a lot harder in my perspective for that person to get better because so much is done for them, especially if they're coming from like a very low functioning status, they have a hard time progressing because everything just gets done for them and they're not like challenged in that sense too get better it's so different it's so different yeah yeah he was 26 and he had two kids he was like married and had two kids too but yeah it just kind of makes you wonder like if his mom couldn't write the name too like what was the education level like he came from a super super 
poor family and like the mom kind of told us that from the get-go they were like asking us literally for any food supplies we could give them too they were like that poor and so it just kind of makes you wonder like what was this guy involved with and like is that a result of his like lower socioeconomic status that he was like forced into something I don't know because there is a lot of like narco activity and there's a lot of like gang activity and so you don't know if that was like it wouldn't be all that surprising if that the reason he got shot was a result of like gang activity or something and like he was involved for like money and security for his family because they were so poor up to that point or something along those lines like it's not you know, not all that shocking. Yeah. That's crazy to think about, too. And the fact that you got to, um, I don't know, just just be with him and kind of learn from that is an experience you're not, not a lot of students get at all. Yeah, that's kind of what I told, like, when I got back. I talked to a couple of, like, our professors on the clinical edu education team. And I was like, the things that I saw, like, none of my classmates are really gonna see like cases that were just so extreme like that would never happen in the U.S. like no PT in the U.S. is ever gonna have to tell a patient that they're not gonna walk again you know like that's so not the PT's job the PT might help them like be more functional but for the most part they're not gonna like really go through the diagnosis with them it's just like so the role of the PT is so much more prominent in at least in Guatemala where I was at, it was like people trusted the PT a lot more than they did the doctor. So people would come into the PT and be like, well, do you think I, like I fell the other day and you know, and my arm kind of hurts. And I'm not sure. Like, do you think I need an x-ray? And we're like, can you lift your arms up overhead? They'd be like, yeah, like, you're probably, you're probably fine. I don't need an x-ray. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. That's insane. So what advice would you give for current PT students or students, this will preface it, or students who are currently applying, just started. Um, you've talked about a lot and so different. <laughs> people who benefit from your episode. Um, so anything specific to you that you would give? I think just like, if you kind of look at my whole life, like the motto of my life has just been be comfortable with being uncomfortable and just be okay with, be okay with doing the hard things and like being scared. I was telling me, we have like littles in our PT school. And so I was telling my little the other day, cause she was saying how like scared she was at PT school starting, you know, and she was like, I totally switched up my whole life and I'm terrified. And I was like, good. Like you're on the right track. You're doing everything you're supposed to be doing because you're following your dreams. And now you're terrified <laughs> because it's all happening and it's going to be hard and it's going to be stressful. And it's like, you're not, it's not, it's not easy to be a PT. Like we all know that it's, it's really hard. But I think if you're the more like comfortable you are being uncomfortable and the more you understand that like being in uncomfortable situations makes you a stronger and a better person and especially a better PT then you're going to be better off and you're going to see like a lot of growth as an individual and that's definitely what's happened to me i've seen like my biggest growth when i've been in those like really hard situations like being in guatemala practicing pt in spanish like it was hard but i've grown a lot as a person in the past couple months and it's been cool it's been cool to like look back and see too i think it's been cool like other people are like oh you seem so different but I think it's cool as like as an individual to look back and be like, wow, I really did like accomplish a lot and do a lot of things. And it's like, it's cool to see me accomplishing goals. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. And students should do that too. Reflect back on even mm -hmm. wins. Like you don't have to go to Guatemala and go through this. No, absolutely not. But it's so cool that you did. But for the people listening, like you, it's a very rare opportunity. It's um, so it just worked out. Yeah. So just like being happy and joyful in those small wins and those small um, times of growth too, like that mm -hmm. problems could actually be really big and you don't know until you're past the tough times. Right. 
Right. And like, look at all the opportunities. If you're like terrified of a lab or you're like uncomfortable about a lab, like look at it as, look at it as an opportunity to just like become even better, you know? And it's, it's so hard in the moment too. You're like, there's no way. Like, you're like, I don't want to do this. I'm stressed about this. I need to be doing something else. Like I'm not all that interested. Like it's so much easier to say than actually do. But really, if you take the opportunity where you're like terrified and uncomfortable as like the opportunity to learn and become so much better than you already are, you're going to do some cool things. Be a good PT. Um, so what classes do you have this semester that you're about to go into? Oh, we have so many. It's like, so we have what's called essential clinical skills too. Um, Diagnosis and Management of Musculoskeletal Conditions, that's one of the courses. Diagnosis and Management of Cardiopalm, and then Neuromuscular. So those are all like Diagnosis and Management. Then we have like Neuromed and Orthomed. Yeah, and then Case Integration, which is like all cases from, like theoretical cases sometimes are real cases. Like we had to use a case from our clinical this summer. Um, and then uh, exercise physiology. So we have eight classes. Wow, how many credits? <laughs> it's 19. Okay. And yeah, so it's like we had 19 first semester, 19 and a half second semester, which is when we had anatomy, and then 19 again this semester, which people are like in between about whether last semester was harder or this semester is harder. Because last semester was just a lot of like content. I guess this semester is a lot of content too, but it's a lot more like clinic based versus like last semester was more of your foundation. So we'll see. I'm excited. I think it'll be, I'll have a lot. I have a lot to like think back on too. Like Guatemala because the patient case was just so diverse. Like I have a lot of examples to think back to for like, at least the neuro cases and then the musculoskeletal cases. Nothing really for cardiopalm yet, but. Yeah, but still, that's, uh, that's awesome. Did you have, I was going to look real quick. I'm like super determined to find this Hearts in Motion because I know my program. Oh my gosh, yeah, if you find it. They like are not that great about posting. I keep telling them, I'm like, you guys need to post more. I like met with the founder when I was down there and I think I'm actually, like my plan is to go back and do pelvic health examinations like with their annual um, OBGYN trip that they have because it would just be perfect and you get just like, I mean, you would get that like exposure to mm -hmm. um, one just practice. The OBGYN trip sees like 500 women in the week or something like that. It's insane how many women they see. I wouldn't see nearly that many, mm -hmm. but like would see a good amount where you could give people like the skills to just feel a little bit more empowered and like start working on something that would again make a difference in their life because again in like Latin America there's just not the women don't have as much of a voice as they do even in the U.S. like in the U.S. we complain that women don't have a voice but like Latin America it's even less <laughs> so giving people the skills to like empower their pelvic health or like be empowered in their pelvic health and do things that make themselves better, like tends to make them stronger in other aspects too. But, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's so cool. I love it. And for all the people listening who are like, how do I get in touch with this person who has gone through so much in the last <laughs> year? Where can they find you? Where should they reach out to you? Um, so my Instagram is like my main platform that I use, which it's, undergoing like a change I would say so it started out as Lindsay Duran fitness and that's like what the tagline is right now Lindsay Duran fitness um but it's definitely undergoing more of a change towards like the PT pelvic health background so it started out as a lot of just like workouts and like my personal training type stuff and like exercise and now it's transitioning a little bit to more like women empowerment and pelvic health and like the physical therapy profession. So it's a little bit different, but name's still the same. And that's kind of where I go for my main stuff. You can always email me too. It's lindsaydoranfitness at gmail.com. Um, I guess I do technically have a website, but it's like, again, under works. 
Okay. That's okay. People will reach out to you however they feel like would work best. But thank you so much for coming on because it was a pleasure yes. to talk to you and hear about all your crazy experiences in the last year. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. Let me know if you ever have any questions. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our Instagram and Facebook page linked in the description.